This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Dr. Pete Dyson as he provides wisdom on how to close the generation gaps in your church. Dr. Dyson is the pastor emeritus of Park City's Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas, and is also the president of its foundation. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as Dr. Dyson shares a simple way for one generation to pass on their strength and wisdom to the next. I have been, uh, the last two General Assemblies, I've been teaching seminars on what it means to be an intentional Christian grandparent. That grandparents in America today tend to be looked at more as babysitters, not as those who are discipling uh, their grandchildren. So at the back back there, I've got a lot of information related to how uh, an older generation is passing on truth to their grandchildren. So there's a whole table of information back there. But what that's done is it's led me to realize a huge gap in our churches. And um, so... Uh, that's why I'm doing this one today, and it has to do with um, how we can pass on truth and so forth to younger generations in our churches. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing, I w- I'm going to do two things for us today. Okay, two things for us today. Number one is I'm going to talk about how the Bible shows us generational passing on of truths and uh, in one sense, you're going to know a lot of this, but I want you to see the significance of it and one of the reasons God has placed this in the scriptures. And then we're going to transition in the last part to look at a process that you can use in your churches to do the same thing with between older members and younger members in a church. And so that's where we're going to head now. Okay. So here is uh, the biblical model. We're going to talk about discipleship, okay? But what I've discovered is is that people have a mis- particularly the older generation has a misunderstanding of what does it mean when I'm supposed to be discipling someone. It seems a little more difficult than it's supposed to be, all right? And so I want you to see something from a standpoint of the biblical model, okay? Now, this is blocking my screen up here, but... Um, after the fall, 
God not only or only did sin enter the picture, but God still had a plan through his sinful fallen people, all right? Uh, their sin didn't surprise him. And so what he did was, is he told them there is future, there's a hope, because he cursed Satan, all right? But he said, he said, he, he will, you know, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head, all right? And that phrase stuck evidently in Adam and Eve's minds, okay? Because of what we'll see, you see, in the sense that follows. And so Adam and Eve then begin to think, obviously, pretty deeply about what had happened to them and that somehow or another something was supposed to come through their line. They, they understood that to whatever extent they could. And so they have their first children. They have Cain and Abel, all right? And what happens? Cain kills Abel, all right? So then they probably had other children in the, in the midst of all this, but one came along that particularly got their attention, and that was one by the name of Seth. So in the scriptures up here that you see, it says in chapter 4, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and, this is, and she, notice this, named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And this word appointed is what Seth means. It means set or put in place, and it actually has the idea of a substitute. Seth was a substitute for Abel, all right? He was appointed specifically, and they got it somehow or another about this, this, this child. And then it says, to Seth, him also, to him also was born, and he called his name Enosh, and then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enoch. So you'll notice several things here. Adam and Eve taught somehow or another the worth of God, the, the focus of God to Seth. And Seth passed that on to his son Enoch. Enoch. All right? And it says, then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. All right, something has, is going on that is being passed down. Do you see it? It did come from Adam and Eve, and it went into Seth, and Seth passed it down, and Seth passed it on to his son Enos. So I want you to see this passage. So in Genesis 4, here's where you see that interesting phrase, all right, where men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And then we pick up again... This is an emphasis in chapter 4. He goes back through all the genealogies again. So now I want to walk you through what's happening with generation to generation. Um, <clears throat> so um, God wants us to know there are 10 generations here from Adam to Noah. All right, very specifically says that. Now we don't know that this is a tight genealogy. Uh, we know that for example, the genealogy in Matthew seems to have a little bit of great person to great person type thing. Uh, so 
whatever it is, this is what God wants us to know about these particular men that it's being passed down on. But here's what you also need to see. There are six interruptions in this line of where comments are made that are very significant comments about what is happening. First of all is going to be Adam's comment that's in chapter 5, where Adam says at the beginning of chapter 5, and he very clearly makes an emphasis to the same thing that happened to him, or at least was passed on by Moses to us. And he says at the beginning of chapter 5, um, when God created man, he made himself in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. When they were created, then when Adam, and this is the uh, official noun for Adam, it's not, not humanity anymore, but the name, the person Adam, had lived 130 years, he fathered, fathered a son in his own likeness, and here it's repeated, after his image, and named him Seth. Something specific that he's telling us that Adam wanted evidently Seth to understand by saying that. And then Seth fathered, uh, after, after he followed him, then uh, Seth lived 105 years and followed Enosh. There, is, there are these interruptions in this series. First of all, Adam's comment, and then we have Eve's comment about Seth being specifically appointed, and so the name Seth means appointed. And then we have a comment about Enoch, that he walked with God, all right? And that's at the bottom of this, uh, of this, this one here in Enoch. Then we have a comment by, about Lamech and what Lamech says about Noah. And then we have a comment about Noah. And none of the others have a comment about them. So here we go. So Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. And all of them, it says, had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. He was not, for God took him. Notice, we're told twice he walked with God. Wherever there's repetition in the scripture, you always pay attention. All right. So that comment, he walked with God. And that has the implication of meaning there was an intimacy that walking in fellowship with God was a very intimate kind of walk because it was also a very long walk. And then we come then to uh, Lamech. Methuselah lives 100 years, all right, and 70 years, and became the father of Lamech. And then it makes this comic. Lamech names Noah, and he says, because... This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. All right? Now, why does he want us to know that? Why is that important? So here's what you need to see. There's a specific name that is identified by Seth at the beginning. There's a specific name identified at the end of the list about Noah. Okay? which implies that possibly the names of these other men are intended for us to know something as well. And so here's what I want you to see that we've gone through. 
So God is having a godly line. We're very clear. We're told it's not the line of Cain, it's the line of Seth, and that's the line that's passing on the, um, the hope of the Messiah. And so he has a, he's fulfills his plan by connecting a godly line. So how does he do that? Even in their names. Now watch this. Uh, not original with me, but first of all, we have Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. All right, here's what their names mean. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal man. Humanity, in essence, is his name. Kenan, sorrow. Mahaliel, the blessed God. You get the L, L at the end of it. Jared, come down. Enoch, teaching. Methuselah, his death. Lamech, despairing. Noah, comfort. When you put all of that together, what do we hear? God has appointed that mortal man shall sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death will bring the despairing comfort. That's the gospel in that genealogy right there. And that's one reason we're given all these amazing genealogies is because God is telling us something. And he's, he's being true to his promise in all of this. So what was passed on? I think by those names, we can say several things. First of all, we can say that um, Adam was trying to pass on to Seth that he belonged to God. You were made in the image of God. I was made in the image of God. And somehow another God communicated that to me, and he communicated that to, Ad, to Seth. And so the hope of a Messiah, the gospel, was being passed on. Because they remembered, God said, from his seed, he will come and he will destroy that serpent that destroyed y'all. Okay? Excuse the southern there. But any rate, then it says very specifically that Enish is when men begin to call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? That means they started worshiping God. They started clearly having a worship time for God. Something's being passed along. And then you come to Genesis 5, and you have where Adam again, uh, this idea that Seth being appointed, belonging to God, all right? And then you have in Genesis 5.22, Enoch walking with God. And then Hebrews uh, comments on Enoch's walk with God. And this is the idea that he walked by faith. So somehow or another, he understood trusting God in his walk. He was trusting God in his life. And then last of all, where Lamech speaks this of Noah, and then it said Noah walked with God. All right? And there is this promise where Lamech says of him, he's going to give us rest. And so God brings judgment on the earth and then says, I'll never judge it again in that same way. Um, so what, what do we take from this? Now, let me back up. So that's what's happening with generations. Some truth is being passed along as best they understood it. OK? 
okay, from one generation to another. Uh, with the ages of these men, it's roughly over a thousand years because there's overlap with all of them if it's tight. But regardless of the length of time, somehow or another the truth is being passed from generation to generation to generation. And they had nothing in writing. But what we need to remember this is now the scripture wants to remind us that there, there can be a problem when it is not passed down. So we have a scripture very clearly that says this. In Judges, uh, when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel each went to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of God, died at the age of 110. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, and here's the key, who did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done. So in other words, the generation that saw it didn't tell their children. They didn't tell their children about it. And what, well now we know what happens in the book of Judges. There's 400 years of misery, all right, until we get to the Davidic time, the kingdom time. Um, so that's what happens when it doesn't go. Now, I, I want to move this now to the church, okay? Well, let's jump forward to today. So from descendants to disciples are from a nation, which is Israel, to the church. And God ensures the future of the faith in the same way through us. All right. He wants to keep it passed down through us. That's part of his plan. So we are the recipients of the knowledge and wisdom and experience of the saints who have gone before us. But the battle today has really intensified, hasn't it? Especially, I mean, here in America, and we could probably say everywhere else as well. Uh, and especially it's paddled for the, the generations. And we were asleep at the wheel when Satan took over our colleges. And that happened, frankly, was starting when I was in college, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't aware enough to know what was going on and what I was hearing. But we found kids dropping out of church all the time, and we thought, well, it's just because they're away from home, they haven't found a good church, they're partying on Sunday, Saturday night, and da-da-da. Uh-uh-uh. What we discovered was just what they were hearing in the classroom. Their faith was being undermined, and therefore church wasn't important to them anymore. And we see this happening all over the place. So what can we do to be sure that the next generation stands firm in the faith? This is where I want to take you to a process that, to be honest with you, I have kind of stumbled on through another church that was wrestling with this same issue, but it's the issue of how do we get the older, mature generation to touch the lives of the younger generation in our church? Because they've got all this wisdom and knowledge, okay? How do we do that? So here's what happened. Our commands are clear. We, we can preach that from the, from the pulpit, can't we? The Great Commission. 
we're to go and make disciples. It, 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 is, it is our challenge. There's nobody in the church that doesn't have this command. Go make disciples. Are you? Okay. And we know that Paul says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So it's not only telling a generation about it, but it's also helping them to tell their generation about it as well. So again, the question, how can we connect today's generations in our churches? Here's what I see as a ministry gap in our churches. And that is this. this, Again, this isn't original with me either. I want to make you sure of this. But most churches are built like this. We use this spirit. There's children, there's youth, there's singles, college, and what have you, and then there's marriage. And about 80% of a church's ministry is focused on those areas. And that's not wrong, okay? But that's where it is. The other 10 or 15% is focused on the far bottom side, and that is with the, the seniors who are now having a hard time getting around. But what we've discovered is, is that with the marriage, that runs to about age 55. And at age 55 is when you start, your children leave home, maybe a little earlier, depending what your age is, and um, you begin to sense that it's time probably to help train some of the younger people to take over your positions in the church, all right? So you start giving your place to the younger people in the church. What happens when you give your place to the younger people in the church? You never get it back. (laughs) All right? And you know why? Because the younger people don't want to give it up. You didn't either when you were that age, right? You wanted to kind of do it kind of your way, all right? But there's a big problem there. And that is this, when you give up your leadership position, then you start losing some of your ownership, all right? And what we've discovered is, is we just assume all those people who are your more mature Christians, they've they've made it well in, in their work, they have money, they're actually your bigger givers in the church, but now they've got grandkids, and a little more time, they want to travel a little, they want to take care of their grandkids and stuff, and all of a sudden all of their interests begin to be outside of the church. Okay? Not bad, but something's missing. Okay? And so we discovered at our church we have no focused ministry on people from 75 to 80. I mean from 55 to 80. We have no focused ministry. Sunday schools and what have you. And if you're anything like me, at our church, we're lucky to have people be in Sunday school twice a month, you know, because they travel, you know, or they get sick or whatever. So, you know, you're really not getting to give them very much at all. So how do we take that group and connect it with the younger group, okay? And here's what I discovered through a retired Presbyterian pastor, all right, in our town, because we started talking about it, and he said we did this. We discovered what we simply call a discipleship, I get this is the key word, conversation. A discipleship conversation. And I'll tell you why that's important. So a biblical solution 
and connecting, uh, the word connecting generations can be the same word for discipleship, right? The biblical word is disciple, all right? That's the biblical word. Discipleship has often been seen too much as a program and content we teach. So we have a class on discipling, all right? So we teach you all the New Testament, the Old Testament, and all the Westminster Confession, everything we can possibly teach you and stuff like this. And then we say, now go teach that to some younger people. And they're going, what? Uh, wait a minute. Uh, I didn't know I was supposed to be able to do that. And I don't feel that biblically competent to do that. What if they start asking me questions and I look pretty foolish, okay? So when you mention saying, would you disciple a younger person, a lot of us are kind of like, well, what, what, what do I do? I mean, how, how long, and does this last until, I, until eternity? I mean, how long do I do this with this person, you know? What if I don't like them or they don't like me? I mean, so there's a lot of, a little bit of pushback. Even the word mentoring, all right? I want to mentor this person. Well, does that mean I, I've got to answer all their questions or solve all their problems or what, you know, so they don't really understand that either, all right? But we said, all right, what if we just have a conversation, all right? So discipleship conversation, first of all, needs a leader and it needs a participant. Church members can choose whatever they're best suited for, all right? I'm going to tell you how we do that in just a second. If someone wants to be a leader, well, they're required to go to a one-night training session, all right? And the reason we even have that is because we've got to tell them what it's not, okay? You're not their Bible teacher. You're not their, the, their therapist counselor. You're not their problem solver, all right? You're, you're not the one that has all the answers, okay? What you are is a friend who's just talking about your journey toward Christ. And we want you to do that with one question, okay? One question only. But it's very important that you start getting your leaders in advance, and I'll talk some more about that in just a second. So it begins with an easy on-ramp. So what we tell our congregation, and this is done in the church service, all right, I'll explain that in just a second. Would you be open to meeting with a younger person six times for one hour, once a month or less, what you decide, and discuss one question only? Nothing else. Nothing else. And the first question is simply, tell me about yourself and your journey to our church. That's it. That's it. Do, not, do nothing else. Please don't try to teach the New Testament. You know, please don't get them enrolled in the Westminster Confession yet. Okay? Don't go there yet. All right? They're new. They're new to the church. Maybe new to the faith. And then we say, here are five more questions for you to use whenever you choose to meet. You can meet faster than six months if you want to. Most of our people have said, yeah, that was a little too much time in between, but you don't have to, all right? So we gave them these questions. What do you think you feel you need in your neck? No, the second question is, where are you now in your journey toward Christ? 
So you're kind of getting their testimony. You see what I mean? And that helps a leader understand where this person is. Okay? Secondly, uh, the next week, what do you think you need as a next step in your journey with Christ? What do they need? Okay? All right. Next week, next time you meet with them, are you planning to engage in any Bible studies or community groups or Sunday classes at the church? Well, did you know we have a class for the people that are your age? And, and, uh, or if not, you know, we'll start one or what, whatever. You know? But you're now connecting them with the body in that way. And then you get to a stronger question that you shouldn't start with, and that's how is your soul doing this month? How is your soul doing this month? It's not how much you know. It's not what you feel. Where do you think you are in your soul with God? And then last of all, is there something particular you would like for us to talk about? Okay. Six easy on-ramp questions. All right. With them. So here's how we do it. So discipleship at the bottom there, it says, is helping people find and follow Jesus. See, what does the word methetes in Greek mean? Any of you guys know that? Of course you do. It means follower. She's a follower, all right? And a disciple is someone who followed someone around in that day. They started following Jesus, started going in the same direction Jesus was going, okay? And then talking about it. So here's how we start. First of all, we find disciple conversation leaders from our church elders, deacons, ministry heads, Sunday school teachers. We ask them, would you be willing to do this with someone? One time a month, one question, and that's all you do. All right? That's it. One time you talk about one question, okay? And then you build, You need to kind of build your infrastructure of, okay, we've got to pair these people up. You know, we've kind of got to get a little group of people to get it organized, all right? That's really pretty simple. But you know what I like about this? It costs nothing. You don't have to put this in the budget. It's not a program. It's just people connecting with people. You know, and they've discovered that when someone visits a church, if they are connected with someone who greets them, talks them, meets them, takes them to lunch or something afterwards, they stay. But after two times, if no one talks to them, they leave. It's a relationship. And that's what Jesus did. He just went out, started a relationship with someone. Now, of course, he can do what we can't do, but at the same time, that's what we're supposed to do. All right? Jesus says, follow me. Do as I do. Paul said, do as I do. Okay? Um, and then train your leaders first. Again, tell them what not to do. Now, what happens if they run into a problem? All right, we've got a group of five people that we know are some of our more mature people. If you really run into a problem, you call them and say, how do I handle this? So suppose a guy says, I just got to tell somebody, I got a, I got a problem with pornography. Okay, you're not to solve that problem. That's not your job. So, okay, I've got a, friend, I've got a person at the church that really knows how to talk about this. And if you'd like to some help, I would like for you to meet with them. So, see, so we tell you where else to go with the serious problem. 
Oh, I've got, I've got, a, I can't pay my rent next month. Okay, our deacons meet. They have a good Samaritan fund and stuff. We'll put you together with them, and they'll work something out with you. See, so what? You're not the answer, and that takes all the pressure off. Okay. Now you need to announce the opportunity. So let me give you an example. So one church, a larger church, two Sundays in a row, because you know. As you know, not everybody comes every Sunday, right? So two Sundays in a row, we said, we're going to offer a discipleship conversation. How many of you would like to be a participant? Or how many of you would like to be a, a leader? All right. Guess how many signed up with that simple announcement to the entire audience? It's a larger church now. 300 the first Sunday. 300 now, what does that tell you? Well, they got a lot of people. No, no, no. It showed the hunger. It showed the hunger. All right? People want to talk. When it's simple and it's easy, it's like, hey, I, I can do that. All right? And what happens after six times when you say, you know, he lives on the far side of town. This time it was just really hard for us to connect. It didn't work real well. That's fine. Six times it's over. Just let us know that. We'll try to something positive. Or what usually happens on the sixth time, one of them says, well, are we going to do some more of this? You know, yeah, yeah, I'd kind of like to do this. Well, what do we do? We just give them six more questions. Just give them six more questions. You know, it's just discussion. And what we're finding is, is that young people are eating this up. They want to know the older people in our church. But you see what you're doing is you're not meeting and talking with them about the last recipe. You're not talking about the sports. You're talking about spiritual things, and you're talking about what it means to walk with Jesus. That's what's important. You're starting a spiritual conversation, and that is now the center of your relationship so that it can go on. So a discipleship conversation. So, there you go. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.